0: To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate
1: of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. Because history has shown us that courage can be contagious, and hope can take on a life of its own.
0: I will bring you hope, and I ask one thing in return. We move now, together. Not at all.
1: Hope is not lost today. It is found.
2: Hope is what keeps you going.
1: Even if the whole world is telling you to move,
3: it's your duty to plant
1: yourself like a tree, look them in the eye, and say no. You move. Welcome to the Escape Me Fanny Show. I'm Sean, and today on Signaboost Boost, we have DC, author and creator of the RPG game Mutants in the Night. Welcome to the show, DC. Hey, it's good to be here. So I want to start off by getting you to kind of describe this unique project. What is Mutants in the Night, um, and kind of give us a sense of kind of the background of the project.
0: Well, Mutants in the Night is a Blades in the Dark hack that has kind of found its own home, and... At this point, people when I tell them it's a blade sack, they're like, Oh, are you sure about that? So I guess it's it's its own little baby right now growing into a full fledged teenager. The whole background of the game is it's about taking on a marginalized identity as a mutant in a world where mutants are brand new. They've only been around for ten years. This is in um, the near future, the year twenty forty four. And the goal of the game is to kind of understand where you sit In the sphere of your local community and how that reflects onto your ideals of society and the world at large, it gets to a point where it has this very serious tone that people carry with it. And it is a very serious game in the respect that you're marginalized, regardless of whatever background you come from in your life as a a player or a reader. When you step into the game, you have access to a lot of identifiers and signifiers that. Really, they represent marginalization pretty well without uh, running into to a lot of the issues of wearing like a skin suit or changing yourself in a way that um, actually identifies as someone who really exists out there. That was a very important thing to me. And uh, yeah, your goal is to understand where you are in the community, help people out because you have superpowers unlike many others in the world. And to find out what that responsibility means to you and to the community around you.
1: So it's, it's really interesting because, you know, as I was reading the description of the project, it's got this great line in it where it says, the law stands against them, enforcers stand above them, opportunity stands before them. And, it, and I love the way that that's described because it, you know, when you're kind of telling me the kind of the underpinning of, of the idea behind how people would play this game, there's also this sense like this, this has a real relationship to the world we live in now. And I, it pulled for me immediately from that grouping of lines. And I don't know if that's what you'd intended, but that's immediately where I went.
0: Oh, yeah. It's sort of meant to be that in that it there's always something that someone's going to attribute to it and as as far as i've run into no answer is really wrong it's meant to be that fill-in where someone will read the game or read a, uh, some of the synopses and they fill in a blank and that's exactly the kind of effect that that i want to have so
1: so uh, to kind of dig into this a little bit more you know the that given that the underpinning is this idea that you, you kind of take on these perspectives, these marginalized perspectives, as a process of playing the game and kind of figuring out where you fit into the community and, and, and so on, you know, I, I guess the question I'm kind of getting at is that that seems to be like something that while RPGs certainly have had the ability to do that, and certainly like different uh, DMs or GMs could certainly have have fulfilled that in the de- construction of a game. It doesn't seem as though many RPGs kind of explicitly try to explore that. Have, does that reflect your own experience with RPGs?
0: Yeah, definitely. There are definitely games out there that work towards similar themes in different ways, and there are probably a lot more smaller developers like myself who are making similar things It's probably out there. I haven't run into something that gives me the same sort of feel or vibe. But I mean, that's why I ended up making the game in the first place is to fill that gap and to have a game that really represents what's going on with me and the people that I really care about in that struggle of knowing that you have something that you can do to contribute or help, but you don't know how to take your skill or to really even understand yourself sometimes in order to help. and so giving a layout in the game of going to different communities that that have different responsibilities or uh, different levels of political involvement or social involvement in a lot of different spheres and uh, having a lot of different backgrounds. That is me giving people an opportunity to kind of find out how can I help with who I am and what I can contribute and to assist people who are on a track, whether or not it's a track that you personally feel like there's a lot of connection to, that there may be other ways of doing things that are, are better for you or, or maybe worse, you don't know. But that's, that's the whole core of the game is first understand marginalization, feel what that feels like, and then how do I take action in order to help people who are feeling this way?
1: It seems to me that RPGs should be like the obvious source for where you would engage in something like this, just because of the way RPGs kind of often are designed where you're playing various kinds of things that are different from who you might be. And I guess you do you see something particularly unique about RPGs that sort of make this kind of exploratory process more impactful?
0: Yeah, definitely. With RPGs, there's this space that people open up to and allow themselves to, especially with with um really good core systems supporting it. Like I, I really enjoy the way that Blaze in the Dark works on that specific level. I feel like it's absolutely a masterpiece. And being able to reflect some of those moments of here's how you are stressed, and how trauma ends up being involved in your life and your your progress as a character rather than there just being like experience and gaining abilities which there is but having a balance of what what cost looks like to a human being in many different ways the systems that are set up especially since we're in this process of people making hacks or modifications to older games and then people making hacks and modifications to that game that has been created in in The shadow of another or in the light of another i should say we're at a point where we are we've isolated um one of the core bits of interest things that really vibe with individuals and that's being able to uh, have that closeness to reality where you can then take serious things that are happening and find out how far a human being can go when it comes to their stresses their traumas reflecting upon those things in different situations and it's a process of like internal healing for a lot of people
1: i like that phrasing a process of internal healing i think of the times when i play play rpgs you know if you've had a real stressful day and you go and you you just do some weird D campaign or whatever like sometimes there can be a bit of therapy in that that's sort of like total release whether you're doing something very serious or something very silly yeah i connect with that is what i'm saying <laughs>
0: Most definitely. I feel like a lot of people uh, are getting to that point of realization that this is something that we do for a lot of different reasons. And one that is is really common is being able to use these spaces that we create together in order to feel better about things in in our real lives, whether we realize we're doing it or not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I wanted to kind of step back a bit because, you know, you talked about Blades in the Night as the kind of precursor. And I was curious about your kind of journey into RPG games, because I think it's fairly obvious you're into RPGs. Uh, but what were what were some of the other sort of seminal RPG experiences for you that kind of really guided you to this moment that you're in now where you're like, I'm doing my own thing now?
0: There's a few. Um, there are some podcasts as well. It was a mix of really people who were influencing me to find out what i wanted to do and i know that seems like a really general thing uh but wanting what you want to do in a role-playing game uh asking yourself that question kind of leads to what kind of system you want if you want to have a very human experience and have the a variance of interesting things happen and have a lot of input from around the table powered by the apocalypse games are a very good place to start exploring since There isn't much going on there when it comes to planning ahead. For me, it was powered by the Apocalypse games like Blades in the Dark and Dungeon World um, that I did some research on. And I looked into Fate, which is the game that's farthest away when it comes to uh, mechanics. But after playing the game, I really enjoyed some aspects of it and how you weave a story together together and build a world together, and that definitely influenced me. I think the biggest influence game-wise, I mean, well, Blades in the Dark, of course, but um, there's definitely something that comes from Monster Hearts that I feel is the closest to Mutants in the Night because it takes on the role of specifically LGBTQ plus communities and putting... All of that inside of a game uh, was really inspirational to me because it's along the lines of what I wanted to do. And so that game has had quite a bit of influence on me. Helped me uh, get to where I am now.
1: You'd mentioned some podcasts. I assume you mean like actual play stuff?
0: Um, No, interestingly enough. Daniel Kwan's episode of Backstory, that has had a huge impact on me. And shout outs to Daniel Kwan. He's a person who... Uh, does a lot of work in museums and uh, and with some historical artifacts. And he's also a tabletop RPG designer. And he went into inspecting a lot of the cultural implications of the games that we play and specifically colonialism, how that ties into a lot of other issues uh, like racism and sexism, trans antagonism, uh, ableism. And how a lot of those things end up stuck inside of the foundations of the games that we play and that's an issue that i ran into when i started designing so i got to a point where i was like i'm gonna make my own game and i'm gonna find out a way where i can think about those things in a controlled space and ask myself the kinds of questions that i want to in order to create that space where playing the game begins to facilitate answers to those questions so I, for those who aren't familiar with hitchhiker's guide to the Universe there are creatures inside of that universe that they had a question so they built a machine that would give them an answer and that's what mutants of the night is to me it's it's the machine that i'm using to process an answer to the question of what does my fantasy look like when where there are no elements of the issues that made me make the game in the first place so you're playing my question.
1: Yeah, no, I get what you're what you're saying. Like the idea of creating the mechanism to lead to, in your case, trying to trying to get to the answers to those big questions about identity and self and and those kinds of things. Uh, so you had this really interesting tweet where you had mentioned that you were you were talking about this link between communication and language in a, a sort of range of I think fairly related genres, things like RPGs, fighting games, and music. And I was really curious because I just I, I don't know what that what was leading to that tweet, <laughs> what you were talking about with this the the connection between these things and these fairly interesting genres of of creativity,
0: oh, yeah, that's a wonderful question because I love talking about this. Um, something that I only realized recently, thanks to a lot of you know when a lot of different things happen, and it turns out that those things are actually all related and your brain puts the wires together that was what happened there and i went oh this is this is a very good thing to bring forward to me brain thank you um those three things tabletop rpgs music and fighting games are three things that i they've been important to me throughout all my life um they probably will continue to be because of of how i see them and experience them um they're all really about communicating in uh and like creating language in order to have a conversation and those conversations are they all have a core if i ask you how your day is and you ask me how our day is the core of that conversation is the day the things that happened. but the way that we can communicate with one another uh, is highly based on how we react to one another the certain positions that we're in Whether it be that, like, maybe you are happy and I'm sad, and how we react to those things, and how we choose to involve ourselves in in different things that we uh, perceive. And so, to me, this is just that's music in fighting games. In fighting games, you are two or four people, usually two, who are fighting each other, and you're all in all of these different positions, waiting for reactions in, in order to figure out what the best option is in order to achieve a goal in tabletop rpgs i can say that exact same sentence and it's really the same thing it's just the where we are facilitating this conversation and this development of like this language that exists either and the language is kind of like based within a game and then of course in particular games with particular groups there will be different developments in how people work around each other or with each other but the core there is the game proposing to you like a question what if you were in space and you were you were a bounty hunter or in a video game what if you were a person who could throw fans and you had to fight this person who could spit acid music is really cool because there's a conversation going on there about what comes next involving everyone at the same time, especially jazz. Jazz is my favorite comparison to talk to about this, because fighting games and jazz have been connected in several times uh, uh, already by other people, but there's the communication of we have this baseline of what this harmony or chord uh, is, and we know that we are working around this, but everyone is listening to each other on where to inflect or where to draw back, or where to inflect in order to heighten somebody else's moment or spot and all of that combined makes a sound and so when someone plays take five um really popular famous jazz song one group can sound completely different than the other but they're still playing the same song all of those things together is people who are communicating in in verbal or nonverbal ways in order to craft this like amazing story that either happens like very rapidly or over time and it's really just what your particular style uh, that you enjoy is you can go into any of it sorry that was a lot
1: (laughs) no 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 you have just and then next time I watch one of those like like Street Fighter Five like tournament videos, like I'm not gonna look at it the same now. So you've just changed. <laughs> like I'm just gonna be thinking at it from like a jazz perspective, where it's just like, oh, this is he, the way he's reacting and doing X, Y, and Z. Like, oh, it's just like if they were like in a jazz band. Oh,
0: it's wild. <laughs> it's very reflective of of like these other genres and tools that we have. So you can be sat next to someone who's a really great player because they understand where people are making cues and where they want to shine or the kind of character they're playing. And they can accommodate in ways that you're like, wow, this person's such a great player and I feel like I'm having so much fun and they know how to like funnel all of our energies and like help push or draw back in the right places. And the same with having a really good like facilitator, GM, DM, being able to read and communicate and keep the flow going lots of lots of really interesting ways that that people uh, work with each other that come to the same result like we we have a goal and that goal is something like stated on paper but really it is like the journey it's how you get there that's important yeah
1: uh it's it's, this is great it's just very delightful to think about it in the in those terms so thank you (laughs) no problem okay so so the big question what what secrets can you tell us about whatever you're working on next it doesn't even have to be like an rpg thing like it could be like maybe you're gonna start a jazz band
0: <laughs> no i don't i don't think i don't think the jazz band is happening just yet i'll wait until till i hit 50 and i'm like what do i do now and just you know hop on all the instruments as for right now i'm, I'm starting to stream whenever this is live i'm probably streaming uh <laughs> so um I'm really interested in streaming because there are a lot of times where I want I want to be able to talk to people and really whatever I happen to be doing is just like a facilitating a conversation. So I'm going to just be playing video games and I'm going to be doing specific like design stuff or like reviewing games and really getting into the nitty-gritty and not to be like, this game is good, this game is bad. I want to go and be like, oh, and ask questions, not come from a place of, like, authority as much. It's like, I wonder why they put this mechanic in and let's look through the text and see if that fits well with this or that and then maybe look at some Let's Plays or something or even play the game. And I will have a a fighting game night because I really want people to see that connection. (laughs) And then, other than that, um, I'm going to be working on a new game soon. I'm very excited about it because the details are starting to hash out in my head. And once, once I can see the world, once I start seeing the bits in my imagination. That's when I know that I've come together with something really good. So, here are the, here are the, the spoils. Um, my next game is going to be based on the Ghibli film Castle in the Sky. I was, I was raised on Ghibli films. Um, they're some of my first memories and I've always enjoyed the way that those movies are largely non-violent and then when violence is in the movie it's it's not it's not really glorified violence usually the people who are even doing violence don't want to be it's in like self-defense so uh, the next game is going to be non-violent and you are going to be a person who lives on one of the like sky islands and you live in this beautiful city where alchemy and science uh have blended together to have this uh mixture of like nature and technology working together to have these these beautiful places but you live they're they're the way that all of the islands work is that they float on a a set path and you live in a particular time where the network that keeps everything floating on the same path has broken down in places, and so many islands are just floating in places that uh, like you can't find on a map. So, you and the members of your group go to these different locations. Like you find them and you explore, uh, and you use alchemy and uh, different forms of reasoning and problem solving in order to solve problems that like there might be sky pirates and they might be violent but you cannot use violence to solve problems against them or you might run into an island where the self-defense mechanisms are still up and they're laser shooting in the sky but you you have to figure out ways to solve those issues without hurting people or even like machinery or life Uh, so doing that to your best ability uh, and finding out more about your own culture and the different subcultures that have formed because these islands have broken up maybe there will be people on an island maybe there won't and so bringing back all of that knowledge and wisdom and sometimes like parts and technology uh comes into the the focus of alchemy which is understanding how different elements and matter like the value of it in a spiritual way um which i think relates heavily to like reasoning and being able to try and understand something in a way that works for you, and then that allowing you to benefit by respecting and honoring the things that you find and the cultures that you find. So it's a lot about that exploration and more respecting the things that you find rather than go and destroying them or hurting people.
1: So people can't see, but I'm I'm grinning like a fool right now because it sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be great. Well, I, I look forward to uh, seeing more b- about that as as you start to you know finish all the pieces, and then hopefully before you, you know the end of the world, it'll it'll come out, and then we can play it all the time.
0: Who knows how far out? Because I still have to. I'm gonna work on publishing Newtons of the Night, and that's gonna be a good chunk of work. But when when pages are out to be seen, I'll let the people see them.
1: Sweet, and obviously they they'll have to find that at a very special place, so where can folks find you?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Dungeon Commander. There's no E before the R. And dungeoncommander.itch.io It's also in my pinned tweet, where you can uh, go online and you can find a copy of Mutants in the Night. Um, By the end of October, the updated version of Mutants with All bells and whistles will be updated, uh, but it'll cost more. So right now, if you go buy it for $10 and get the old version, you can download the updated file of the new one and save some cash. So I highly recommend doing that. And uh, yeah, those are, oh, twitch.tv slash Dungeoning Commander with, again, no E before the R, where I will be streaming about four days a week. And then on other days, I will be on other channels uh, that you can find from my Twitch channel.
1: Well, perfect. So, folks, go check that out. Do get Mutants in the Night now, because 10 bucks for an RPG game is not too bad. Thank you so much, DC, for joining us, uh, telling us about Mutants in the Night and, and having a convo about RPGs and fighting games.
0: Thank you for having me. It has been very fun, and all your listeners are absolutely wonderful. I hope that they gear up and get prepared for the next episodes. Go listen to all the old episodes. They're great. Oh,
1: that's so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> so I, I guess I'll use that as the opportunity for the awkward ending and scene.
3: Welcome to the Skiffy and fantasy Show. I'm Tanya, and today on Signal Boost, we have Chanelo Onwalu, Nomo-nominated short story writer, co-editor, and co-founder of Amanana Magazine. Welcome to the show, Chanelo.
2: Thank you so much.
3: Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Oh, God, I hate this part.
2: Um,
3: <laughs> I am
2: uh, Chanelo Onwalu. Um, I am a speculative fiction writer, uh, mostly short stories. I... I'm a former journalist and I currently live in Toronto, Canada. I have written um, several short stories and um, I'm currently working on a novel. I generally write uh, speculative fiction, that's science fiction, fantasy, some horror. um, And I've been doing that since about 2012. Nice. So are you a full-time writer? No, um, I work with a um, NGO, a development organization. And um, I do writing for them as well. Um, I'm mostly an editor for a, for a long time. Um, I was an editor for newspapers, uh, but now I am I do more writing these days, I think. yeah.
3: Good. So you said you've been writing since 2012? Well, I've been
2: publishing since 2012 I um, I mean, I I think like all writers, we kind of start out, you know, as kids scribbling down things, and um, as teenagers being those broody ones, you know, little diaries and things like that. Um, I think if I, I, I started my first novel when I was 13, um, needless to say, it was terrible. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, I think it was um, in 20. 20- I decided that I I returned to Nigeria to live and work um, after having worked in the US for about 10 years. And um, uh, while I was there, I, I figured, you know, this is something I've always wanted to do. So I started uh, publishing in some local journals and magazines. And um, in 2014, I was accepted into the Clarion Writers Workshop. It's um, the six week program for um, speculative fiction writers. Um, And, uh, you know, and after that, I sort of got a little bit more serious with my, with my writing.
3: So you feel like that process really like changed the way that you write and think about writing? Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Um, I think for a long time, I struggled with a sense of the idea that my writing wasn't something that was serious. Um, the idea that my writing wasn't something that I deserved to spend time on, that it was frivolous in a way. So I think, um, getting into Clarion, which is um, a very, a a very respectable program. Um, And um, it's, you know, some of the big names have gone there, you know, Nadio Carrefour was a Clarion graduate. And, um, you know, being accepted into something like that made me realize that, you know, maybe, maybe this is something that I should be taking a little bit more seriously.
3: So when did you write Read Before Use, your story that was nominated for the NAMO?
2: So, um, I think that story, well, that's a, that story actually has kind of a, a rather long um, backstory. It, I started writing the first version of that story um, I wrote when I was a teenager, um, and um, it's kind of taken on a lot of different iterations since then. The first version was far, far more speculative. Than, than, that one but I think I I wrote that particular version of the story in um, 2015 and um, and I initially sent it in and um, it was rejected and so I I rewrote it and worked on it again and I sent it in 2016 and um, you know it was accepted in that version so um, it's funny because I think the original was actually a a love story and the the final version was decidedly not so (laughs) Um stories have a
3: can take a life of their own sometimes I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh so how did you come up with the idea for Read Before Use? Originally
2: the idea of two people who are on very different sides of a larger power structure power um struggle was kind of uh at the bedrock of that story. It was sort of uh thinking about what it's like to try to make a change as an individual in the face of like really serious and deep structural um, inequalities. Um, and so I, I come from a country that has been rated as some of the most unequal in the world in terms of gender equality, in terms of wealth inequality. Um, and so, you know, living in Nigeria, you, it's so easy to see the differences between the haves and the have-nots, because it's so stark. Um, the haves have so so much, and the have-nots have nothing. And so, um, it was a period where I had I'd moved back to, from the states in uh, two thousand and nine, and I had spent a long time sort of struggling through depression and feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. And um, I was emerging from that into a space where I could start finally start hearing my own voice and finally start figuring out what it is I wanted to say in my writing. And so um, that story sort of came out of a place of what does it mean to choose the side you're on? What does it mean to um, try to figure out how to make significant, change in the face of really massive structural problems um, and how do people without power navigate those structures when, um, you know, they themselves are trying to survive,
3: you know? Right, yeah. So how would you say that Read Before Use compares to some of your other work?
2: I think that in in some ways it is a little, po- little bit more political, maybe, I think, I didn't realize for a long time, it, it was set in a world that I've been thinking of um, since I was a you know very young person. And um, I didn't realize how much those worlds mirrored and reflected the worlds that I lived in. Um, so as someone who had spent 10 years as an immigrant in the US under increasingly you know, more difficult immigration laws. You know, um, restrictions were getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And it was just, you know, people think that there is a, sometimes people think there's a a path to citizenship that you just have to get in line and you'll be able to get your green card and your citizenship. And, And that's not actually the reality. And so I spent, you know, a good 10 years struggling to try to move from one status to another and and it didn't ultimately it failed um and i ended up back in nigeria sort of on my own trying to figure out what had gone wrong and so going back to some of the stories that i would started writing when i was younger um i think this story became a little bit more political than it was um and it definitely moved away from the romance because i probably wasn't in a place where i was thinking about happily ever after <laughs> so um I think in that way, I would say that it is, uh, it's, it's definitely a much more political story than some of the ones I've written in the past.
3: So would you say that a lot of your influence as a writer comes from growing up in Nigeria and the wealth disparity between the haves and the have nots there?
2: I think a lot of my influence as a writer comes from someone who was between two worlds. So, um, my dad was a diplomat and, uh, we as a family we spent a lot of time moving from Nigeria to a lot of different countries in the West, uh, particularly Eastern Europe. So by the time I was in high school, I'd lived in about five countries, and um, and each time it was um, moving from one space to another and learning to adapt and readapt and um, realizing that. It was almost like moving through different worlds. Um, I would be in one world where I, you know I'd be considered, "Oh, hey, this is a fairly attractive person." And then I'd move into another world and I would be completely considered of, uh, you know, <laughs> not um, or uh, moving into one world
3: and not standardly beautiful.
2: Yeah, exactly. And just moving from beauty standards from one place, it it sort of turns your head as a kid. Or even cultural standards, um, you know, moving from one culture that considers having, you know, a shapelier body to be the ideal to moving to another culture that's like, oh, no, that's fat. You know, so it was very, um, it was weird sometimes. And um, that was, that was, everything was like that. One place I was poor, one place I was not. One place I was an elite one place i wasn't and it was it 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 served to i think as a reminder that it's all in the eye of the beholder isn't it what we what standards we choose what we who's who's good who's bad who's beautiful who's not who is at the top and who isn't they're they're all so arbitrary really and um i think that's that that had the most effect on my work because uh, it, it had me thinking about cultural relationships, um, relationships, not just between people, but between, but how people fit into their cultures and into their worlds and, uh, what it's like to be the outsider versus the insider. And I think those themes have been, have shown up in a lot of
3: different ways in my work. Yeah. So what compelled you to start your magazine, Ominana?
2: I actually I can't even take really take credit for that because um so my po- my uh, co-founder Mazi Mungu is um really the person who um came up with the idea and he had had the idea to have a magazine or to have a platform where, where we could showcase the voices of um emerging writers in speculative fiction in Africa. So for the last 10 years or so um when we first started talking about this, um, it was really more of a um, a rising phenomenon. I I would say that we are right now like it's no longer a rising thing or a happening thing. It's a thing. Um, but at the time, we were meeting all these really interesting writers, um, reading all this all these um, stories, and we knew so many people personally who were writing um, speculative fiction, but for a lot of the, you know, the standard magazines out out there, they were literary. They were still trying to um, put forward an idea of African writing that was pretty monolithic, I think, and not often uh, one that African readers themselves were reading. So, um, what we did, we just wanted a space to be able to tell these stories. And um, so, I, I think M- Mazi and I had met up at. Um, one of the Ake festivals um, and uh, we got home and he called me up and he was like, I'm doing this thing. Are you on board? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, and uh, we brainstormed, we came up with the idea and really, I mean, the rest is the rest is really uh, his hard work and tenacity. He, uh, he's the one that put together the website. Um, I came on board to edit and, um, and yeah, and we've just been doing that for the last four years. Awesome you used to work with anathema yeah so um actually anathema just started up i think uh, this is our second year and um it's uh myself and uh my partner michael matheson and uh, our mutual friend um andrew wilman and um it's a magazine um for it's a speculative fiction magazine um but it's primarily for queer uh, people of color and aboriginal, um, indigenous and two-spirit pe- peoples. So um, basically everyone who's not white, but queer. <laughs> and uh, we started that um, last year. we had been thinking about it and talking about it. Uh, and we wanted to, we also wanted a space where people who weren't being represented could could have their voices showcased. And it's sort of the same thing with the Menina. Um, we were seeing like, um, that there wasn't a lot of places where where people who weren't the mainstream could still get their voices heard. Um, I mean, today we, we, we're still inundated with anthologies that are like 80% white. You know, there may be two people of color thrown in there just, you know, to say, hey, um, there may be more gender parity in a lot of things, but there is still, a, it's still an overwhelmingly, white um landscape and um and that is not an accident. You know, it may not be a conscious thing where people are saying we do we definitely don't want people of color, but it's definitely um it is definitely a deliberate thing. Um we have too many spaces where people of color are tacitly not welcome and their voices are simply not showcased. Um oftentimes it's said, oh you know, they, these works are not the same quality, we don't understand, we don't know, we can't um, relate to the voice, we didn't get any you know, submissions. Uh, you know, and I, I find these arguments spurious, to be honest. I, I find them, um, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of patience for those sort of arguments. Um, you know, if, if I, I strive to make Omenana gender um, equal, uh, and that is not by accident. Sometimes I will have to say, "Look, your story was great, but you're a white guy. I'm going to set you aside and go and find a, a black, an African woman to showcase on this page." With Anathema, we've we've tried to be as um, when we noticed that we were having a lot of a lot more Asian voices, we made a point to try go out and look for black voices because. We we know what we're trying to do, and we want to be as representative as possible. And if these voices are not coming to us, we go to them. <laughs> I you know I don't um, if we if any magazine that wanted to solicit would not just simply sit sit in their homes and say oh gosh well nobody's submitting I guess we're gonna just close up shop. I mean people have done that, but that's beside the point. But that makes you a terrible magazine. So why w- why is that an excuse? When when you are creating um, an anthology or you're putting together um, you know a a, a table of content for anything, so um, you know when we when we didn't see these things happening elsewhere, we we figured we should do something about it.
3: That sounds amazing. I mean, it also sounds a lot like how I kind of came to start Nightlight. So your story reminds me a lot of my own as well, and you know, so obviously I admired the work that you're doing there. I think it's important to work. I think it's great that you're showcasing queer voices, especially. Uh, I think there's definitely a lack of outlets specifically for queer voices.
2: And I'm sure that you heard when you were starting up, oh, you know, Black women don't write horror. Where are you talking? About? You're never going to get anyone to submit, you know? And, and that's clearly not true because you're writing horror. So... <laughs>
3: It's not true. And, you know, like you said, I I have to go out and I have to source work sometimes because I'm not getting submissions. But there is plenty of work for me to choose from. You know, I'm not settling, you know, by any means just because there's only three stories out there or, you know, whatever it is that people seem to think. So where can we find out more about you and Amenina and Anathema and anything else that you happen to be working on right now?
2: Well, um, I mean, I have my website, uh, which is uh, Um And then uh, Omenana is, um, it can be found at com uh, as well. We, uh, we just dropped our um, 12th issue, and we are open for submissions for issue 13, which, by the way, is a horror issue. Uh, well, urban legends. So um, we're asking people to um, kind of, Think about uh, the urban legends that they know from. And this is every city uh, has these legends, you know, um, ghosts and creepy crawlies and things that go bump in the night and, um, and sort of give us their spin on, on them for, you know, issue 13, Friday 13. Um, and, um, <laughs> uh, uh, and, and anathema is also at, um, I think it's anathema.com as well. And um, we are, currently open we're actually it's actually it's a rolling submission so we are always open for um for work and um i think our next issue is coming up in uh, about a month or so
3: awesome it
2: has been a pleasure talking
3: with you thank you so much for, for your time and thank you listeners for joining us on signal boost go check out Janella's work amenina and anathema magazines
1: Thank you for listening to the show. If you'd like to support us, you can find us at Patreon.com/skiffyandfanti. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do so at our email at, at gmail.com, on Twitter at skiffyandfanti, and on Facebook at the Skiffy and Fanti Show. Our intro and outro music comes from Dimension by Creo. You can find out more about them at FreeMusicArchive.org.